Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and a lot of stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, coming to you from sunny South Florida and joining us once again from a now fully open fragrant harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi there, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and happy open Hong Kong, right? You guys are, I guess, uh, fully open and no PCR tests and quarantine or... Any of that required now, right? Yeah, I think so. Because I, the last time I traveled was in October. Yeah, the, the rules keep changing, so I don't know anymore, really. No one knows anything, uh, I think, as the saying goes. Uh, no, I, I, I traveled back in October, and I got the PCR test when I came back, and that's when I caught it. That's when I caught it in Germany on my trip on the last day. So so I got uh, COVID, and I came back. Um, and I was caught on a PCR test on the way back. And because I'm not traveling till April, I haven't been looking at the rules closely. But yeah, apparently we're all fully open now. Y'all can come back. So what, what, what happened sure when they uh, caught you? Did they send you to Penny Bay or how did that no, play out? No, because uh, I, well, it's me and, and, and my wife, as you, you will talk about in a little bit, um, just two of us. Uh, and then when they came up to give me my wristband, I told them that, you know, I didn't share a toilet. I live alone, which is, uh, sorry, don't drag me to jail, blah, blah, blah. Um, they, they came up and give me a wristband. My wife was out at the time. So they, they you know, pretty much noted that I lived alone and didn't drag me to Penny's Bay. So I quarantined my room for seven days and my wife didn't catch it. So it was good. Well, yeah, it has. Uh, I mean, it has been a year, and things have changed for sure in Hong Kong. Are you guys still under mask mandates, or do you have to do the restaurant app thing still, or is that all kind of going away too? Contact tracing is over, as far as I know. It's really, really over. I've deleted the apps. Uh, no more vaccine pass as of uh, two weeks ago, I think, a week and a half ago. And uh, but mask mandate is still here, which I don't mind at all. I, you know, there are twenty case, twenty thousand cases a day. The elderly vaccination rate is low um as well as for kids so i don't mind wearing mask honestly i don't find wearing mask a troublesome thing because you know it's always been sort of a culture to wear mask when you have, have a flu anyway in, in in this part of the world uh, out of consideration for others so you know to keep wearing a mask to protect myself and to protect other people it's never been something that i i've minded so yeah as far as i know the mask mandate stays and even if it's gone uh at least for outdoors i will keep wearing my mask all right well it has been a year and uh, many things have happened since we last spoke and as you just kind of alluded to one of the things that has happened is that the the guy once known as cnn's kevin ma has now become <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Ma's Kevin Ma, right? And I, I know we don't want to get too personal here, but you did get married. And again, congratulations on that. I've talked with you a little bit offline about that before. Um, but uh, I know that uh, for myself and, and some of our other friends in the circle, we're all very pleased as punch uh, that you've taken this great life step. And we're looking forward to little, little Kevin's coming very soon. 
Thank you. Um, it's been it's been very nice. Uh, we're coming up on four months now since the the big day, and um, it's been very nice. Mrs. Ma is very supportive of what I do, even though I didn't tell her that I'm doing this podcast recording because she's at work anyway. She didn't she didn't need to know what I do when she's at work. So this is like a potential plot of a bad romantic comedy. Like, who are you talking to? Who is that? Who are you talking to? Who is that? Oh, uh, it's my podcast partner. Um, but no, uh, yeah, my, my wife's very supportive of my habits, thankfully. So I still have a lot of discs at home, even though I've, I've you know, thrown away a lot of boxes, as many of our discs, friends and discs you. in bags. Discs yep. in discs bags in is the folders. advice you're going to get. I can hear it coming out. <laughs> Did you know that it's almost impossible to buy CD folders in Hong Kong now? Is it? Yes, I had to buy them all on Amazon. I, I think it's al- almost impossible to buy DVDs and Blu-rays in Hong Kong now, as it <laughs> seems when I try and order stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're all really coming slowly. And, you know, Hong Kong films, there weren't many Hong Kong films to be released in the first place. So, yeah, I know it's it's hard to buy. It's hard to buy this because so many, they take so long to come to physical media now. But uh, you're welcome to buy a copy of Showbiz Spy spar- starring uh, it, Mirrors Anson Lowe. Hey, I've already put it on the wish list. <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing else new coming out. Look, there's um, All's Well, Ends Well 2020 is in, in, in my next coming list. There's a big box set of Chili Laugh Story, and, and it doesn't seem like they've got anything but this big box set for sale. They don't have, like, a normal one for sale. That's on my list. Yeah, and because then, they, have to make the, they have to make money off Mirror fans before the rest of us can buy it. Yeah. So that's and, and then that one that, that that you just mentioned, which actually the name... I, I did, I, it, it, I, I'm being honest. It is in my wish list, but I can't even remember the name of it right now. Um, <laughs> there's no other new stuff. I mean... The All's Well, Ends Well film is like from, you know, three years ago now. So it's like, and it's just now coming out or just came out a little bit while ago. And not even all the sites have it, right? Yeah. Uh, the sh- your former employer isn't carrying it. But another site that I order through is. So it's what, like. What, Showbiz Spy? No, no, no. The All's Well, Ends Well 2020. I, I, I'm still sorry. I'm sorry. I'm still caught up in the fact that you're trying to buy also Ends Well 2020. It's <laughs> almost I Lunar New Year. Movie. Come on, I want I want some Lunar New Year happiness. I, 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 I'm just saying, I, I watched that movie and I'm like, maybe you shouldn't buy also Ends Well 2020. <laughs> well, that would probably be a majority of Hong Kong films. And and your advice, you know, like uh, uh, the two uh, uh, new Kung Fu cult masters, right? I, I, I was told shouldn't watch it, but I did because they were there and and I wanted to see them. So. Um, yeah, beggars can't be choosers anymore. But I guess, uh, you know, before we get into our movie review this week, have we even mentioned it? We are going to be talking about um, possibly one of the biggest blockbusters to come out of Hong Kong in a really long time. And one that um, we've talked about before, you know, sort of in a querying sense, like, where is it? Where is it? When's it coming? And it finally came. And it uh, it, it came over here on Netflix. Um, Netflix got the rights to it, thankfully, and uh, at the beginning of December, uh, the world was able to see it, and I was able to see it, thankfully, um, and very happy to do so, though I would have liked to have gone out and seen this um, on a big screen, um, because there are some movies where I think that it's worth a big screen experience, and and surprisingly, this was one of them. I, I really wasn't expecting to have that feeling with it, but I was happy to see it nonetheless, and the film we were talking about, if you're not aware, is Louis Ku's Uh, science fiction epic warriors of the future so that's the film we're going to be talking about in just a little bit um but before we get into that we are just just over 10 days i guess away from uh lunar new year which is uh january 22nd 
I believe. And we normally would be talking about the coming Lunar New Year film. So I was like, well, what's coming this year? And it's not a great list. And it's not a list that really speaks to sort of the traditional Lunar New Year comedy that uh, we would typically expect, like an All's Well, Ends Well 2020 film. Um, but as best as I can see, we've got Donnie Yen's new martial arts epic, um, Sakura. We've got a romantic comedy called, uh, Say I Do to Me, which I was looking at this and it looks like it's right up my alley, you know, romantic comedy, but I was like, I recognize none of these people <laughs> in this movie. I mean, um, it's like a whole new generation has suddenly come in during COVID that uh, I just don't recognize. There's um, well, a f- there's a reason for that, Paul. Okay, well, I'll let you explain that. Um, there is a film with people I recognize in it uh, called Everything Under Control, and another film called A Guilty Conscience. So, um, Kevin, you probably have a better handle on uh, these films than I do. So, why don't you take us through this Lunar New Year lineup? Yeah. So the Donnie film, I keep forgetting that exists. I keep thinking that there's only three films this year. There are only three films this year, but no, there's that. The Donnie film. Um, that one is an sort of a spin-off of a famous um, Louis Chanov. Actually, this is right up your alley because it's based on demigods and semi devils. It's a it's a spin-off of that. It's I guess it's based on a character yeah. um, named named Chow Fong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chow Fong. Um, so actually, I, I'll, I'll throw it back to you after I finish this part. Um, but yeah, it's Donnie directed it, Donnie stars in it, and it comes on the heels of his mega flop. Um, I forgot the name of that film, the one about the rescuing. Uh, oh, bring bring me home, or bring him home, or bring them home, or bring bring us home. I don't remember it, but yeah, the mega flop movie. Um, bring us home or bring him home, whatever. Um, so this is sort of his chance of sort of recovering after that mega flop. But right now, there's not much buzz at all. There's very little promotion in Hong Kong. Um, there's a trailer online, but that's about it. I don't see much promotion outside. So I, I don't think anyone is expecting this to do well, very well uh, out, at least in in, in Hong Kong, um, because Donnie Star has fallen quite a bit. You know, outside of It Man, people. And I guess Raging Fire, you know, those Donnie vanity projects don't really do well, particularly here in Hong Kong. That's not what really people want to see Donnie do anyway. Um, So that one opens, I think, a few days before Chinese New Year. Um, Seems like it'll be a bit quiet release um, because the biggest film of the the New Year period is definitely going to be A Guilty Conscience is the directorial debut of screenwriter Jack Ng. Uh, he, of course, written many um, of Dante Lam's films. Uh, he also co-wrote Anita. So he's one of the biggest um, paid screenwriters in Hong Kong. This is his directorial debut. I have read the script, so I can tell you what it's about. Uh, Dale Wong, the pioneering comedian in Hong Kong, it's taken on sort of a rare dramatic role. He plays a sort of incompetent judge who becomes a barrister in order to make a bit of cash before he retires but in his incompetence causes someone innocent to go to jail uh for uh accused of murdering her daughter so he's you know with this quote-unquote guilty conscience he's trying to do the right thing and get her out of jail um so he he's taking on this very, very rich family and a very powerful lawyer played by of course none other than mr michael Wong. <laughs> 
So um, it's a big film. It's released by Edgo, of course, who owns the biggest chain of theaters here in Hong Kong. The the, the promotion, the marketing is is bombastic. It is, they're showing it every the trailers of every theater here in Hong Kong before every film played at Broadway cinemas. Um, and I think it's going to be huge. Um, I really like the script of this film. I think it's really entertaining, and I think it will play really well with audiences. It's not a 100% dramatic role for Dale Wong. It's going to be... Um, Maybe sort of you still sort of have his dry sense of wit throughout, but it's also a very uh, serious story, um, and I think it'll make it'll really please the audiences here. So I think that's going to be um, the big film this Chinese New Year. Um, Everything Under Control is a remake of a Taiwanese film called Treat or Trick, but of course that film is also a remake of a Korean film called uh, To Catch a Virgin Ghost. I subtitled this one, so I know exactly what it's like. It's a very wacky, um, typically Hong Kong mole tao sort of comedy um, with a much younger star. So it stars Hans Chen, who is a, a much better known as a singer. Uh, Ivana Wong, who has switched to to acting in the last about 10 years and has done really quite well at it. And a cast of uh, uh, other people that maybe outsiders uh, or foreign foreign audience might not know very well. But it does have Michael Ning, who is hilarious in this film by the way so it's definitely worth watching if you sort of want a midnight it's not sort of uh, it's not really a mass mole tao comedy i think the humor is a bit weird for some people uh it is not the same film as treat or trick treat or trick i think is much darker this is much more uh, of, a, of a silly comedy with some very weird stuff in it and i kind of like it for what it is and it's a lot of fun i had a lot of fun doing the subtitles for it um Say I Do To Me was a last-minute edition. It's the latest film by director Kiwi Chow, who um, may be better known for being a very serious director. He directed Beyond Our Dream, uh, or Beyond a Dream, I think. Beyond a Dream. Is a, is a, that was a romantic drama from a few years ago that was a surprise hit. Uh, but, of course, he's better known internationally as the director of Revolution of Our Times, which is the documentary about the 2019 um, uh, protests. So... Uh, I think there was a lot of sort of speculation about whether this film was going to be able to come out because of his name. Um, and it did pass censorship. So it was announced very last minute, just about two days ago. This is about two weeks before New Year, announced that it was going to come out uh, on the 26th, which is the fifth day of the New Year. But there will be advanced screenings throughout the New Year period. So that kind of makes it a Chinese New Year film. Um, if you guys don't know, the, the, the star is Sabrina uh, Sabrina M, I think. Sabrina M. Yeah, Sabrina M. She is uh, one of the members of a very popular YouTube channel here called Pomado. You'll see it mentioned at the end of the trailer. Uh, Pomado. They they're sort of a group of sort of young creatives who do very silly sketches, and um, their biggest hit, I think, is what they call the refrigerator uh, refrigerator jokes, which uh, has guests or their members telling very bad pun or jokes. Uh, what we call cold gags, cold jokes, you know, jokes that aren't very funny, but are very stupid. A lot of them are puns and, and they're kind of funny in itself, but that's their sort of biggest claim to fame. Uh, they have, that's what gets them the most views on you on, on Instagram. So they've had many celebrities join, even Louis Koo to promote Warriors of Future, um, went on the, their, their show to, to, to tell uh, a bad joke. So, um, that's her claim to fame. And, um, you don't see a lot of big names in here because of the name Kiwi Chow. Kiwi Chow, of course, has sort of become 
um, unofficially blacklisted in the industry because of um, 10 years and a revolution of our times. Um, not many people are willing to work with him in case of uh, being blacklisted uh, by the rest of the industry uh, and, of course, in China. So the, the people you see in the film are obviously making a statement by being in the film. Um, so aside from Sabrina, mm, you also see um, Chung, uh, Chung Kin Long, Chung Kin Long, who directed Hanro Cigarette, but he's also an actor. He actually started in the industry as an actor, um, and then he, but then he studied filmmaking. But then this is his, this is first starring role, so to speak, um, in a lead role of a film. You also see Candy Lowe, which who I'm sure we've seen plenty of times in Hong Kong films, and also Gregory Wong, who unfortunately is one of the uh, many, many people who has been charged um, for their actions during the 2019 protests. Um, so, anyway, and also co-investing the film is actually Chapman Toe. So, um, this is first actual investment in a film under his late show label. So, he started a um, a streaming service, his own streaming service called The Late Show and producing original content. And this is its first um, film production. Even though Chapman has been living in Taiwan for the last two years, he's still sort of very involved in Hong Kong or trying to be involved in Hong Kong cinema in his own way. And this is his first sort of real film investment. Um, so that's why it's sort of a big deal among um, among certain people. So, um, yeah, that's, that's Hong Kong Chinese New Year films uh china has many many different films and much bigger films but that would take too long to go over so so we'll keep it in hong kong for now so we're not gonna see any raymond wong eric tang uh sandra M kind of stuff for new year this year any chance so in the future or do you think that the genre is kind of done no they, i mean if you remember table for six was supposed to be a Chinese New Year film. Yep. Uh, and Chili Laugh Story was supposed to be a Chinese New Year film. And of course, Chili Laugh Story was a was a hit. Um, it made a lot of money over the summer and they they made a very public statement about making a follow-up for this year. It was going to be a Mahjong film. Um, and it sort of quietly went away. <laughs> so They, did, so it, they didn't attach Kung Fu to the front of the title, right? No. Kung Fu Mahjong no, no, 4. No, no, no. So it was supposed to be the same cast. It was supposed to be the same same crew: Sandra, uh, Matt Chow, um, Eden of Mirror, and all those people. And somehow it just didn't get done. It might have been because of the incident at the Mirror concert, because right. uh, then the band, the group, sort of went into hiding or hibernation for about two months, um, uh, and they didn't come back until I think October. So that might have something to do with it, or maybe it was too much of a rush because the film wasn't a hit until August, so they didn't really have much time to put together a New Year film. If you remember, Chili Last Stories actually wasn't shot that quickly. It was shot in around, I think, in the summer, last summer, or the summer of 2021, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, I've lost my all sense of time. <laughs> this pandemic but yeah it was starting the summer late summer or early summer of 2021 which is quite early for a chinese new year film so you know they needed the time to i guess to write and perfect the script and blah blah so it was really a rush job so they couldn't get it done whereas a guilty conscience was pretty much in production before table for six finally came out for mid-autumn so it was way planned way in advance that it would be a chinese new year release um every everything under control was a very hong kong production in the way that it was shot in the fall and aimed at Chinese New Year. But, um, of course, it was a remake. So it's not like... So some things take a little quicker. And I guess it was planned a lot earlier that it was going to be a Chinese New Year release. So, you know, 
for I guess they just couldn't put it together in time. So yeah, it was gonna happen and then it didn't happen. So it's not like it's a death of that particular genre. It's just that your timing and Eric Zung isn't really acting much anymore because he's now boss at TVB. He's running. He's running literally running TVB. So he's not doing much uh, acting uh, these days, uh, as far as I know. Um, but no, I, and of course Raymond Wong isn't a very popular name. Um, in, in certain circles here in Hong Kong. So um, the genre will come back. It just depends on who's making it. But, you know, I think it would, it's just a matter of sort of timing this year that, yeah, the productions couldn't get, those productions couldn't get started in time or just no one wanted to fight against Day One. So Day One is the mega, I mean, if you remember now, Table for Six is the second highest film, highest grossing film in Hong Kong history. So no, everyone knows that, that a guilty conscience is going to be huge enough that, I guess, um, very few people thought they could fight against it. So I think that's the idea. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's becoming a bit of a bigger presence just in the New Year space in general. I mean, going back to, uh, what was the, he did the spy film with Ada Choi. And Agent Mr. Had, Chan. Yeah, yeah, Grand Grandmaster a couple years, a couple years ago. So yeah, he's definitely getting more and more sort of... Uh, you know, exposure as a kind of a New Year's release guy, I guess. Also interesting to think about uh, for those of you who are, um, I guess, you know, because we talked about Eric Zhang and TVB and 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 that sort of side of the business. Um, I, I don't know if you've caught wind of this because I know you're not a TVB guy, but um, I guess out of China, Yoku is doing this show and we've watched the first couple episodes called uh, Memories Beyond Horizon. Okay, and you can look this up be- very, because it's, it's on... It's a very generic name. <laughs> yeah, but it's on YouTube, okay, legitimately. It's on the Yoku, Yoku channel, and they've subtitled it, which I found to be amazing. And what it is is it's like, I guess, like The Voice, but for actors doing acting, and they are acting out classic scenes from TVB shows like Triumph in the Skies and... Um, a lot of the classic costume genres and the judging panel consists of people like Derek Yee, Kara Hoy, Jackie Chan, um, uh, Ben's Hoy, a couple others. Um, and they've got a lot of these like young generation actors on there. Um, a bunch of them from China, but uh, Fiona Sit is actually one of the contestants too. And there, there's been some, I guess some interesting moments uh, with regarding her and and Carl Hoy and some back and forths about age and stuff. And Francis Ng is one of the judges, and you know they're doing uh, these sort of reenactments from Triumph of the Skies with um, him kind of training these young actors. So it's it's reality TV, and you can see some moments that are very much reality TV, and you're going like, eh, this kind of feels staged and scripted. Um, but it's also interesting to see these actors working, these older actors working with younger actors. Um, and especially, again, if you're familiar with TVB and these classic scenes. Um, so you can check that out. It's free. If you want to get them, like, right when they drop, you can get the, I guess, the Yoku app and you need a subscription. But they release them um, broken into, like, parts one and part two, full episodes um, on the YouTube channel. So if that's something that interests you, you can be sure to check that out and you'll see some classic uh, Hong Kong celebs and actors uh, doing their thing there. Uh, again, that's called Memories Beyond Horizon. So you look that up. So, yeah, weird name to be sure. <laughs> they could have used your help I, on the, I, that title. 
I just find it weird that Fiona Sid needs to be on a show like this because she's been in like 30 films and is a Hong Kong Film Award nominee. Yeah, like that's I was saying. I was talking about that with my wife, and I'm like, she. I mean, because the other actors, there, you know, like there's a guy who's in a like in a boy band wants to get into acting, and there's a couple mainland actresses who've got careers. They've all got careers to a certain level, but Fiona Sid seems like way uh, above them. But my wife's like, well, maybe they're just trying to get her more exposure in the mainland because i guess it's a mainland based show um they switch back and forth between you know speaking cantonese and speaking mandarin they try to get some of the mainland actors to say stuff in cantonese as sort of a test and vice versa so um you know it's got some interesting moments to be sure um but it's not it's not something that's for everybody it's for me so i liked it And welcome back. So as we said, we're here to talk about The Tanned Ones, great epic that we've long been waiting for, Warriors of the Future. And I'm going to say right off the bat, um, they could have really used your help with this title, too, because this is a pretty bad name for a movie. I mean, I, I well, heard this... Remember, in- it's, it- it's actually Warriors of Future. Yes, they never we, we they never uh, restored the thug. Okay, yeah, sorry, Warriors yeah. of Future. And... Um, <laughs> It, the Chinese title is actually, I guess it translates as like Tomorrow's War or Tomorrow, Tomorrow War, but that's already an Amazon thing, so I know they couldn't do that. But it really, it sounds like a bad 1980s toy line. You know, it's like yeah, I could I could imagine going back in into a, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, they didn't have Walmart, they had Kmart, right? I could imagine going into Kmart and seeing, you know, Warriors of the Future. It's like this knockoff of uh, Masters of the Universe or something. It is a title that is not really indicative of the movie and the enjoyment that I think a lot of people will get, will get out of it. So uh, this is directed by Ng Yun-Fai, who is, um, this is his directorial debut, which is kind of surprising. I mean, if you look at his credits, not a lot. He's done a lot of effects work on other films, kind of, you know, because, I mean, he's dealing with a lot of veterans here from the industry, um, not only Louis Koo, and this has kind of been known as Louis Koo's baby project. But also people like Lao Ching Wan, Karina Lao, um, among others, um, and he's worked on a lot of films that you know would be known for effects, things like Painted Skin, um, the Tai Chi Zero, Tai Chi Hero movies. He's also done stuff which are not effects heavy um, in a traditional sense, but things like White Storm, uh, Empire of Silver, things like that. The cast, of course, Louis Ku, Lao Ching Wan, Philip Kung, among others, um, and a couple writers. Uh, including Lao Ho Lung, uh, Tin Shu, who've worked on some other projects that I'll come back and bring up in a minute. But uh, what is the story? So we're talking about a science fiction film, and in the near future, uh, an environmentally distraught planet Earth faces a new threat from an alien form of plant life, which gets lamed Pandora. And this plant life uh, expands exponentially with exposure to water. In an effort to prevent Pandora's spread across a heavily populated sector of the city, a team of elite soldiers is tasked to fight their way to the plant's core to administer a viral agent that will diminish its ability to grow. And of course, 
problems ensue uh, on their mission. So, Kevin, you're up first. What can you tell us about Warriors of Future? Yeah, first of all, it doesn't matter if this film is good because what matters is that Mr. Koo, Louis Koo, wanted to make a robot fighting movie and he got a robot fighting movie. You know, as we all know that he's a huge fan of sci-fi, so this was a dream project for him. Um, and that's what he wanted. He wanted a film where he could put on a robot suit and fight a lot of special effects and do a, uh, and do in Hong Kong, do a proper Hong Kong sci-fi film. So that's what he tried to do. And he's got a lot of money uh, on the balance, uh, you know, hanging the balance. He, he got a lot of uh, money from different investors and, and there was a sort of a stream project. So, you know, it was, considered one of the what we call the urban legend Hong Kong movies. You know, there are a couple of Hong Kong films out there that have been talked about for a long time and then, you know, it's been that was in production for years and years and years and still haven't come out. So one of them is um it was the Sons of a Neon God by by Juno Mac that hasn't come out yet. Still it's been it was talked about for four years now, I think. Um and then there's uh, Detective versus Sleuths, which finally came out last year. There's Warriors of Future, which finally came out last year. There's uh, Where the Wind Blows by Philip Young, which finally premiered at Hong Kong uh, Film Festival last year. Um, so this was one of those urban legend films. So um, we're so glad that it just finally came out. That I think that's what the, the vibe was. But yeah, the in Hong Kong, it's very interesting because the the reason that it's such a huge hit at least to begin with is that because before the film came out it was declared a flop in the in the mainland where it was going to make most of its money back but it didn't it was a flop and uh, a lot of people became uh, sort of started feeling sorry for Louis Koo because um not only as an actor but as the backer of the company One Koo Films he has supported a lot of film professionals. He has quietly funded films. He has um, helped as the as the head of several professional organizations here in Hong Kong. He has helped many film workers in need. Um, so he has helped many other people. So a lot of people realize that, oh, it's time to help Mr. Koo because somehow they think that he poured in 450 Hong Kong, uh, million Hong Kong dollars to make this film. He didn't. He just got all the investors. But anyway... The idea is that, oh, it's time to support Mr. Koo in his time of need to watch his robot movie, to to make his dream project uh, a hit so that he could make more. So that's how it became a hit here. Um, but back to the film itself. So apparently the team cut out a lot of exposition, the opening of the film. It was originally 114 minutes, I think. That's the 112 minutes. That's the original running time when it was sent to censorship. And then the final version, I think it's 98 minutes or so. So... Uh, as you can tell from the beginning of the film, there's a lot of exposition that was cut out. Now that you just see as a montage and it's sort of sloppily sort of skimmed through um, before, you know, getting right to sort of the, 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 the core of the action. So the result is that the film is essentially one long third act with very little room for character development. And it's exactly what Lewis and his team wanted because he knows or he thinks that's what his target audience wants. He thinks that they have no patience for this stuff. And that's, in that sense, it's a very Hollywood production. In a sense that the boss doesn't want your exposition, that just wants to cut all your exposition and get right to the action. And um, and that's what their team, that's what uh, Mr. Ku sort of aimed for. So that's what you see. So one, we get Mr. Ku acting very cool. 
COL, cool. And Lao Ching Wan in his second conse- consecutive action film where he doesn't really have much to do. The last film he dis- did this was Shockwave 2, where he sort of plays second fiddle to Andy Lau. And he just sort of shows up once in a while to help him out. And in this film, he sort of does the same. He throws out a lot of one-liners and helps Louis Ku once in a while to fight some robots and and without much acting to do. And that's a bit unfortunate because if you're just going to have Lao Cheng, one of the best actors in Hong Kong, come and act to a bunch of green screen without doing much, then why are you hiring Lao Cheng Wan? Yes, for, for the name on the poster, sure. But otherwise, there's not much else for him to do. Um, as a matter of substance... Um, I think because a lot of people want something, this film to be something more than what it is, which is basically a big long third act of a bunch of special effects. They, they've had, some people have a theory about what Pandora is. So in um, in the synopsis that you read, Paul, you said that um, Pandora is an alien plant that lands in Hong Kong or this fictional city, sorry, fictional city that expands with uh, exposure to water. But what, um, that synopsis didn't cover is that the Earth is now you know covered in toxins, and ironically, Pandora can actually get rid of said toxins, even though it destroys the environment of, of of the city. It also takes away the toxins and purifies the city. So some people have taken that to talk about um, mainland influence, mainland Chinese influence in Hong Kong cinema. I don't know how they got that stretch that that far. But that's what some people think that this film is about. So whether it's true or not, that that's up to you. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a stretch to find something to talk about. But the thing is, this team of writer, especially Lao Holan, has sort of done something similar to use genre constraints to talk about the struggles of Hong Kong cinema industry itself. So he did that with um, his, his own film, um, I, I keep forgetting titles recently, but um, the one he did with Francis mm, and uh, the one with the cop car, do you remember? Uh, about uh, Two Thumbs Up. So so he has done sort of something similar about this with Two Thumbs Up. So it's not a hundred percent. It's not like a it's not like a total, you know, BS theory. If you have seen what the creative team has done, but um, I think to do in this room, it's a bit of a stretch, even though it's not hundred percent unbelievable. Anyway. That that's that's up to you guys, but anyway, the film I don't think it should have its own copyright because it should be listed as a derivative derivative work. <laughs> it really pulls a lot of things. It's a collage of just about every other sci-fi cyberpunk film that ever existed. That's its entire aesthetic. It is the Tarantino of sci-fi movies, essentially. <laughs> it just takes and I and I, I think. Paul, you're much more familiar with this than I am, but it just feels like every other cyberpunk sci-fi film that ever existed, even the, the creepy monster thing that crawls out of the building in the middle of the film, even that feels like, oh, I'm writing a sci-fi film, so what do I have to have? A monster. Let's have alien monsters. So it doesn't feel like it really has anything original in there other than that fact that, yeah, it's, just a, it's a Hong Kong crew that's doing it. Um, and, you know, that said, I think the special effects are decent. And remember, if it was made in Hollywood, it would easily cost $150 million US dollars. Now it costs about 45, I think, or 50 US million US dollars. So in that in that sense, you know, you it makes sense that you get something that's fairly decent for what it is. 
but remember hollywood does have the budget and the time to do script development and and you know to to do much better special effects but let's not get into that but still for for what it is for what they paid for um and the fact that it's asian special effects that it's a team based out of hong kong they, they are very decent so it is worth watching for that reason but my biggest problem with the film is as one of hong kong's most expensive films ever couldn't have they paid for a better font for crying out loud i watched this film in the cinema and the moment that that golden yellow font came out it just totally took me out of the film because i was expecting something that's you know big and and expensive and they have the font of a cable access show i don't know why <laughs> it was terrible it was the font the font really gives the people the wrong idea of what it is. So of course, now it looks like a direct-to-video flick that you could watch on Sci-Fi Channel. But to us here in Hong Kong, it's uh, completely the opposite. For us, it's not Sharknado. For us, it's practically an Avengers movie for Hong Kong for Hong Kong cinema. Then the rest of the world would see this font and they'll be like, "Oh, dude, it's a Sci-Fi movie. It's a Sci-Fi Channel movie. That's what it is." Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, and by the way, I watched this film on IMAX. It's the first Hong Kong film to ever get a release on IMAX, official release on IMAX, a DMR um, release, you know, as in it was uh, particularly mastered for the IMAX format, even though it's not in the Asper ratio. And honestly, as much as I love the big screen experience, it was not mastered to be presented in IMAX. It was not shot in IMAX ratio. It was shot, it was mastered in 2K. It was not... Um, it was not shot with IMAX camera, cameras, so it was a DMR, and it was just sort of um, reformatted, or not reformatted, but it was sort of remastered um, uh, post-production to to be played in IMAX, but it was really meant for your normal screen. So I felt a little bit ripped off, to be honest, because you see a bit of pixelation, and and the it just didn't feel like an IMAX, IMAX film. You know, I, I'm glad I saw it on the big screen, but... Um, I feel a little bit ripped off, um, but that's just me because I don't think anyone else would get to watch it on IMAX. Anyone who listens to this podcast, but all that matters in the end is that Mr. Koo got to put on a robot suit and fight robots, and we were all given given the privilege to pay to see it. So that's all that matters. The story throw it out the window. The acting throw it out the window. The originality throw it out the window. Special effects okay, but Mr. Koo. He got to put on a robot suit and fight robots, and I want to stand up and applaud. And so thank you, Mr. Koo, for doing this film. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, perhaps this is more indicative of just how far Hong Kong cinema has fallen. I, we were talking before <laughs> the show. What did you say? It was like only 27 films last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're kind of down to like record lows for production. Um but yeah, I, I did not expect this to be as good as it is for me. Um, that's not to say it's not without issues. Um, there are issues, and I'm going to go through some of them. Um, but please bear in mind that I'm the guy that really loves both sci-fi film and the movie Meow from 2017. <laughs> so take everything I say with a grain of salt, okay? I, I, I'm done, Paul. I, I, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm going to pack my stuff and go. I, I no, I don't go. go. We just <laughs> we just got the band back together. <laughs> yeah, but you had to go into Mao. I've got I've got to I've got to say it. I've got to say it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I, look, there's a lot to this movie, um, but there also isn't much substance, if that makes sense. And I think Kevin probably 
put it in, in better terms that this is the third act of a story basically. And, um, it's clearly a film made by film, a film fan, um, who, you know, I think we know Mr. Koo is a big sci-fi fan and, you know, he, he's got a huge toy collection, a huge, uh, memorabilia collection. This is, this is all pretty common knowledge. There's a book that I have, you know, that was published. That's just all his toys, you know, that, that he's got over the years. So, um, I should say, by the way, if you um, if you want to see, I, I'm sure you've seen videos of that of that um, vault. But Ronald Chang's uh, YouTube channel, yes, Ronald Chang has a YouTube channel now. To promote the film, Ronald Chang went into the vault and recorded an episode of his show with Louis Koo in the vault. Yeah, and I mean, it's amazing. The, the, the film, the film um, that with Eric Tang uh, Aberdeen, right? I think there's a sequence um, shot in in his vault as well. If memory serves, I think it was Aberdeen, or maybe it was another film. But oh, I think um, it is actually. Yeah, I think it could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so th- I, it's known that he loves science fiction, um, and he's a fan. And I'm guessing that the director is uh, as well. You know, with a visual effects background. So this is peppered with great sci-fi ideas that have come from elsewhere. Is that inspiration? Yes. Is it a copycat collage? Maybe, because uh, there's a lot here. Um, just going through the stuff that I saw in in the first go round, um, you've got very clear inspiration and designs from uh, Masamune Shiro's work, which includes Ghost in the Shell um, and Appleseed. I mean, there's an action sequence which feels like, I mean, it's not a shot for shot thing, but it's you know there's like these robot spider tanks and uh, i think it's one of the lewis Koo or louching one is on top and very reminiscent of stuff from the ghost in the shell action sequence there's monster designs here um pandora itself um seems like it's borrowing a lot from the biolante design from the godzilla films there's um uh, sort of little monsters that get associated with Pandora, um, that, which is kind of rem- reminiscent of Destroya, uh, another Godzilla film, Godzilla's Destroya. There's a moment which is ripped right out of Jurassic Park. I mean, it's it's very brief, but it's like, okay, yeah, I, <laughs> it's right there in your face. It's it's way on the nose. Um, aliens, heavy reference to aliens, <laughs> Starship Troopers. Um, Kevin, you were mentioned the, the, the thing about Pandora, which I guess is not really a spoiler, but you know, um, you've, you've got this environmental catastrophe on earth and Pandora is, um, at once purifying, but it's also destroying civilization, right? So it's having a good effect for the earth, but a bad effect for humankind. Um, and I didn't really see that as the, in, you know, read into it, the, the China effect, as, as you were saying, which I guess is a possibility given the writer. But um, I was thinking more back to Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, where the Omu were basically that, right? These big giant organisms that were going around and, um, you know, spreading the, the toxic forest. But actually the toxic forest was actually healing the earth and they find they find out later. So it's just a lot uh, of, of things to, to pick through. And again, derivative, sure, but I think that it's handled with enough care that it's it's clear that these people like what they're doing and they're trying to make an entertaining product, and they did. Um, whereas you take something, 
I mean, you, you did mention Sci-Fi Channel and, and things like Sharknado, which have an entertainment value, but you got to get deeper into Sci-Fi Channel, Kevin. I'm talking Asylum <laughs> films deeper, right? <laughs> the Pacific Rim ripoffs, you know, the, 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 they rip off basically any science fiction film that comes along and really, I mean, definitely not handled with care with, with some of the stuff that they do. So that is not the case here with this. And, and I think that, well, yeah, you can look at this as, being stuff that's been done elsewhere originally, I, I, I do appreciate that they were trying to do this in a cinema that doesn't really respond well to science fiction um, traditionally. So um, the, the the translator, too, I think, stuck a little too close, and, and maybe you have some insight into this, with the English translated names, right? Pandora, I mean, obviously, we're talking about Pandora right right now because of the second Avatar movie. Um, they've got this thing that is supposed to be like protecting the cities called Skynet. It's an actual net in the sky, right? <laughs> it's not a, it's not, you know, the, the AI from the future of Terminator series, but still, did they have to use that name? Is it in Chinese? Is it the same name as Skynet in the Terminator films? This is my question. I didn't have enough time to dig yeah. too deeply into that. So I, yeah, I'm... yeah, yeah. No, actually, actually, yes. The, uh, so in, in Cantonese, uh, Pandora's Pundolai. Pundar is literally Pandora, so there was no way they could get around that. So it this was, was this was written in as directly pulled from other science fiction titles. Then these names, I suppose, yeah. And Skynet, yeah. yeah. And Skynet, Skynet in Chinese was Teamon, which is exactly is Skynet. There was no okay. other way to to get around it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, is the is the is you know is the translator here? Are they uh, just trying to keep it in the sci-fi vein? But no, the, the writers actually went for that. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the track record of Hong Kong science fiction, it, it's not great. You know, it's you get some things over the years that are, of course, homages, like films like I Love Maria from 1988. Um, you have some original entries into sci-fi, sometimes sci-fi, sometimes fantasy, sometimes science fantasy, you know, rides that border. And I'm thinking of the the Wisely films, of course. Um, then you get stuff like Future Cops, right? I mean, <laughs> is that science fiction? It's Mole Tao. It's, 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 it's Dragon Ball. It's all over the place, right? Street Fighter, all of that mashed up into one. Um, even like the, the, the two films, Heroic Trio and the sequel Executioners, also with Lao Cheng Wan, uh, they do world building. I mean, the, the core of them is still very much sort of the traditional Hong Kong martial arts epic uh, in a sense, but they're doing some kind of science fiction-y stuff with like the invisible cloak and the post-apocalyptic future that occurs in the second film. Um, and even lower budget attempts over the years, stuff that we've talked about before, things like virtual recall, um, where it's very low budget, but they're playing with, you know, ideas of alternative realities or Stephen Chow films, you know, CJ7 or The Mermaid, and even the occasional Category 3 film like 33D Invader, right? They are all kind of, you know, breaching into this territory that we call science fiction. Uh, of course, and I know Kevin's going to curse me for saying it, but the aforementioned <laughs> Meow, right? I mean, no. a space cat. <laughs> <laughs> that, that shows based up on, based on an at for pharmacy yes, yes. <laughs> so i mean and traditionally i mean the time travel aspect of science fiction has, has been used all over the place i mean you've got that used in more hong kong films that i can you know name but of course iceman cometh is is one 
I think, here from the Beyond the Boundary of Time. It's something that shows up in TV dramas all the time where characters go both forwards into time, you know, usually, or forwards uh, come from the past, come forward into time, usually like, you know, historic dynastic characters get thrust into the present-day Hong Kong or the reverse. Somebody from present-day Hong Kong gets thrust into the past and, you know, you've got this fish-out-of-water type of storyline that goes on. Um, but again, it's usually just used as a device um, to get characters in the situation. It's not really, there's not really an attempt at world building, typically, or or the idea that, you know, uh, things are going to go beyond that. Now, that started to change a little bit. I mean, you've got science fiction now starting to emerge more out of the mainland market, um, though it's a touch-and-go relationship we've talked about over the years because of censorship issues, you know, sometimes time travel's good, sometimes it's not allowed, um, and you get things that are, like, kind of there, right? Uh, duckweed, for example, comes to mind. Um, what's the other movie, uh, Kevin? Um, Ni Hao Kailing or Hi Mom? Uh, what, Hi Mom? Yeah. Yeah, Hi Mom. Which yeah. is, you know, the same thing. Back it's basically the sort of the, you know, the, they're following that Back to the Future model. Um, and then... You know, so so it's starting to emerge. Of course, we've got um, Wandering Earth, and I just saw an advertisement for Wandering Earth 2 coming soon, it said, from Wilgo, but it didn't have any dates. So we'll see when that um, eventually drops. Um, but it's, you know, it's it, the, the, the lists are very spotty, and the use of science fiction has been very spotty over the years, too. There hasn't been sort of a, con a consistent push. And a lot of times when something comes out and it does kind of tack on that sci-fi label, the quality hasn't been there, right? Uh, Kung Fu Cyborg, stuff like that, you know, where <laughs> you get the idea or, you know, the Andy Lau one, um, uh, Future X Cops, not to be confused with Future Cops, but Future oh, X great. Cops, Oh, yeah, right? that's what it was, I keep calling that Future Cops. Yeah, so the, you know, there they have the ideas, but the budget wasn't really there for presenting the effects and the technology, and what's there is, you know, doesn't take up a lot of screen time. That's not the case here. The effects are really good for this. A lot of screen time with the effects. Um, so, yeah, it's derivative. But, again, the attention to detail is there. And, and I was very appreciative of that. I do think it's Hong Kong that brings it down, though. Because when you do get moments of acting, it's all too typical. You know, there's the boyfriend-girlfriend tension right at the beginning with the young couple, you know, who are in the military. There's uh, Karina Lau doing her angry acting, which feels like it's taken right out of an Infernal Affairs or, you know, some other cop drama uh, that just kind of felt weird here. I mean, I know that's what they know. That's kind of what they're used to doing. But it, sometimes it took me out because I'm like, ah, oh, this just, you know, it, it, it feels like it belongs in, you know, Cold War, not Tomorrow War. Um, uh, Nick Chung, probably the weakest link for me of all when he shows up. Because he just, it just felt like there were so many other actors who could have brought more gravitas to that role. I mean, I know he's a big name. He just didn't seem age appropriate somehow for that. And I, you know, my, my question was, why is the general spending his own money on <laughs> Skynet? I mean, that just was like, what? But um, again, these are minor quibbles, water off a duck's back when the, the robots start fighting and stuff. And you're going, oh, cool. I, I, I think Nick Chen just wanted the, the chashu rice. <laughs> and he showed up to get the chastity rice. And he's like, guys, I got the rice. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank yeah. you. Bye. <laughs> so, well, I um, get two days of work. 
yeah, he, he, a, a cameo for sure. And you know, it's yeah. uh, it's uh, not, there's not a lot of uh, emoting going on with his role, but uh, there you have it. Um, the writers have worked on a variety of stuff. I mean, you mentioned Lao Ho Lung, who's done uh, all kinds of films over the years. He's worked on things like Triple Tap. 14 Blades, Once a Gangster, Great Magicians, Two Thumbs Up, as you, as we mentioned, um, Three, Cotton Time. Um, you know, he's got three directorial debuts, but a lot of work as a writer, um, even going on to the other side with things like, you know, romantic comedies, Anna and Kung Fu Land and The Attractive Ones. He actually shows up in the film very briefly. Um, there's a scene where Philip Kung's character is selling a DVD to a guy. Uh, the DVD in question, I think, is... Um, the old version, the 56 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is still the best version in my book, even though the 78 version has the iconic uh, man-faced-to-dog creature that freaked me out as a kid um, mm. in it. and But he shows up as the guy who's buying uh, the DVD from Philip Kung's character. I think that it's clear that, uh, that uh, these guys love films, and so you can kind of go into this and say, oh, they're just copying everything. Or you can kind of go in and say, no, they they liked it and they wanted to see what they can do. Um, in some ways, it, it's almost like a fan film or a student film in that it's like, well, we really wanted to focus on the, the visuals and we didn't want the writing to get too much in the way. Um, and so that's why we have what we got. Um, also writing on this was uh, Mactine Shu, who doesn't have quite as many credits, but he's worked on you know um, other stuff, Chasing Dream, Texas versus Sleuths. Um, Kung Fu Jungle and stuff. It's it's an impressive team um, that they've got for this. And again, I throw the question back to you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Who was really directing? <laughs> was this really Nguyen Phai directing his first film? That were they really going to give this big budget to him and let him in the director's chair? Do you think that Lewis was kind of behind the screen more and more, or how how do you think this went down? No, I mean, Nguyen Phai is, is a very uh, experienced special effects guy. He's sort of like the, um, I think his career trajectory is, is similar to um, Takashi Yamazaki uh, in, in, in Japan, who mm-hmm. did Eternal Zero and Returner, Baba okay. But he, he also does... And who's been tapped to do the next Godzilla film. film? Or those yes. of you who followed Godzilla. Yes, so, I yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's a special effects whiz. And um, he does all the special effects for his own film. And, of course, for a film where you literally have almost every single shot has special effects, it was wise of Mr. Ku to, I guess, to have a guy who really knows his special effects, to, who has a lot of experience, to handle this really, you know, insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable project. So... Yeah, no, I'm certain that, um, you know, to execute on the set, you need someone who who knows how to, you know, interact with special effects and do all that stuff. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm certain that it was, you know, Louis Ku is not the type of guy who takes over a set. You know, he's not like actor. He's not like that kind of actor. I think he's seeing his sort of filmography. You know that he he's the guy that likes to go with the flow. You know what I mean? <laughs> that he's very much a guy who just sort of takes the job and does the job and walks away and. And on to the next film. So I think maybe in post-production, um, Mr. Koo probably did a lot more sort of 
boss decisions, you know, in charge decisions, made a lot more creative decisions uh, in post-production. But um, I think that on set and in terms of creating special effects, a lot of it is running the team. But um, no, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Louis Ku's idea to make a lot of different, like editing the editing out the entire exposition in the beginning um, of that film. I, I, it could, it's probably Louis's idea. Um, so yeah, I think it's a mix of that. Yeah, I and I mean that 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 part in the beginning it really kind of does breeze through um, quite quite a bit of information, and it's to the film's detriment, unfortunately. But it again gets you right into that third that third act, and if you're really looking to see those, you know, see stuff kick off, then it it, um, it gets you in there and it gets the job done. So, are we going to see this on uh, on physical media? Or like Anita, is it going to be stuck in uh, streaming hell for a long period? I I have no idea how these these um, deals, these streaming deals go, but it's been there's a history of at uh, least Asian companies selling their films to Netflix and never coming out on on physical media, especially in Taiwan. You see. Uh, both many of the films that end up on Netflix that are from Taiwan never end up on physical media, unfortunately, even though I wanted to own a copy of a few of those films. Um, so I don't know what one coups. I was told that Anita would eventually make it to physical media, but it still hasn't. Um, because I think may, perhaps um, Disney Plus might have put some sort of limitation on when they can release that because they want people to to go on their streaming service. So same for Netflix. I think um, they may have put some limitations on whether physical media is possible in uh, during a certain amount of time or uh, in, in perpetuality. So Which is weird I, because, yeah. okay, I mean, it. look, I get somebody probably at Disney said, well, the U.S. market isn't going to care about Anita all that much, but they've also blocked it from Disney in Canada. As some of my Canadian friends have said, they've also had to go do the sort of VPN route. So we've got no physical media release over here, no access to it on our D plus over here. So you've got this huge market that is just like a black hole. I mean, they're, they're, they're not making any money off of it. And it just seems weird that they would say, well, all right, we'll lock it up here in these regions for three years, and we're not going to have any kind of distribution of any form in this other region during that period. I mean, it just yeah. it seems weird. Yeah, my 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 contact at Edgo is as confused as I am about because Disney, as as, as far as I know, Disney bought the global rights to it. You know, the thing is, I know a lot of people, say, what do you say about Netflix? That when Netflix buys something and it's for global, they really release it globally, right? They really put it out in all 180 whatever regions. They they don't limit. Once they buy something for the world, they release it to the world. But Disney has apparently bought this global rights to, to I think, both theatrical and the uh, director's cut because I think theatrical is also now on Disney Plus here in Hong Kong. I guess the idea was that they wanted to have more local content to grow Hong Kong's market because Hong Kong does have 7 million people. And going to Europe on my honeymoon, I realized that that's, that 7 million population is actually bigger than some European countries. So yeah. so it's a bigger market than I had thought. And I guess they really want to um, concentrate on cultivating this market of 7 million people and I wouldn't be surprised if Disney Plus is now 
the second or if not the biggest streaming service here in Hong Kong because they do have a lot of local films they have bought. They've been a lot more aggressive at buying local films than Netflix. Um, they have Far, Far Away. They have Detective vs. Sleuth. They have um, uh, quite a few local films, as far as I know. M- many more new local films than Netflix. So I think that's the idea, is that they really want to cultivate the 7 million, 7.5 million market plus the asian market taiwan market um uh southeast asia whatever that that matters more to them than trying to decide whether to put something on on hulu or disney plus but which is weird because a lot of the asian disney plus content has been placed on hulu so it's not like they're not doing anything with it they they are doing something with certain asian contents just that i guess they didn't think anita would have a u.s market and they didn't want to bother which is weird because we did get the Japanese TV drama version of Sumo Do, Sumo Don't. <laughs> right. Know? So it's like, okay, so, uh, you know, a drama series based on a classic Japanese film comedy is okay, but, you know, Anita Moy, famous singer out of Hong Kong, that's not for us. <laughs> or not even for Hulu. It's it's just so weird. I can't figure it out, and I'm going to stop trying. <laughs> so, are we ever are we ever going to get back to back to the past or is that gonna is that like the one of one of the the long rumored uh urban legends that you were talking about that is that is one of the urban legend films it is apparently done and apparently they've been scrambling for years trying to get the ending that will pass mainland censors and i think um yun fai who directed this film also directed that film hmm. um so he's got two films now under his belt thanks to mr ku i think i have to double check but i think it's um yun fai who also directed this one but um yeah, so that's the other urban legend film. Thanks for reminding me. But yeah, step back, step back into the step back to the past. Step back to the past. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think step back to the past. No, I think the the TV series was a step into the past, and I think the title of the movie is Back to the Past, if memory serves. So yeah. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it, it is a sequel. So yes. I I hope I guess they couldn't get the rights from TVB or something. I don't know, but yeah, that's one of the urban legends film, and New Fight directed that as well, and that. They've been waiting for that to come out somehow. I don't know when. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snowzer Radio Orchestra. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at Kongcast.com. You can also find out more about Hong Kong cinema over at the Hong Kong Movie Database if you so desire. Email us at eastscreen at uh, gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, you can follow Kevin and all that he does. And um, I don't know, is Twitter still a thing? <laughs> Is that, I mean, I still is, use it. Is that even a thing? I mean, has it descended into into a pure chaos and uh, dogs and cats living together and all of that? I mean, film Twitter has always been like that, so I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can they find out more about you, sir? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock still for now. You know, at the Golden Rock. That's one word where I'm a lot less stuttery than I am on podcasts. Um, I also do have a website called Asia in Cinema, but 
I rarely run that now. I will be back for the Hong Kong Film Awards, whatever that happens. Um, I think it's happening this year, actually. Um, so that will happen around, I think, March or April or wherever. Um, and you can watch some of the films I subtitle. I think I have Detectives vs. Sleuths that has come out on physical media, thank God, despite the Disney Plus deal. Um, and uh, I did everything under control. The uh, That would be having limited release around the world at, at Chinese-speaking communities, as far as I, I've heard. Um, and uh, a couple of other films that are coming up, I think. I don't know when anything is coming out anymore. I don't know. So all right. we'll see. That's all good stuff. Please do check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network, where both myself and Mr. Ma have uh, guest hosted from time to time. And I most recently had the honor of uh, running the podcast on Fire Christmas special. And a good time was had by some. Not all, but so uh, go give that a listen. If you're still feeling a little bit Christmassy and want to hear some of the trivia that we go through. Uh, Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, catch all you warriors in the future, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody.